0: we just got to finish singing blessed be the name of the lord one quick question for you the lord's name is jesus blessed be the name of jesus this morning we've been talking getting getting prepared about uh singing uh on the 19th uh our inside out sunday and uh That might be one of the songs we have to put in our repertoire because we want to be able to make a joyful noise. My hope is that we will sing so loud that the people in the eagles will want to come out and see what's going on across the across the little gully there. So we need to be able to sing loud enough to invite the eagles in. Today we're going to be looking at a a passage in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. If you want to turn there. Looking at body and soul. We had a great time yesterday. Dr. Nyman was here yesterday uh, looking at how to focus on anxiety from a, a biblical point of view. And he talked about uh, a lot about our soul and our body. And so I, uh, we've been endeavoring in this new ministry where we're going to bring this biblical counselor in. Hopefully starting once a month to, to help people uh, on a more focused and more uh, intense uh, uh, kind of sessions to deal with the issues that they want to face. And so today kind of dovetails with that a little bit, something that Randy and I have been wanting to do, and and, and so we want to talk about that. I, I have several goals in mind today, and I'm going to share right up front with you the goals that I have for what I hope we can at least accomplish a little bit today. Uh, it, it is to, one, to make us more aware of that non-material part of us, that inside part of us, what the Bible calls the inner man, what we may refer to more commonly as our soul or our spirit. But there's there's three things I want to do in focusing on that. One is I want to retake some ground. I want to take retake ground that we, that means Christians or Jesus followers, have given over to the enemy who has taken the realities of God, of God's creation, and perverted it. See, we start talking about the inner man and it starts to sound all new agey and kind of weird and kind of supernatural and out there. And because of that, we've backed away from that And, and the world, the enemy has made the inner man nothing more than a bunch of electrical impulses, chemical reactions and biological experiences, thus denying the supernatural part of what it is to be human. This is God's ground and I want to retake the ground that we've given over to the enemy who's perverted the truth of his creation. The second goal I have is I want us to recognize. I want us to recognize that the rightful place for God's instruction in the care and aid of our souls, which is, which has the, that's, let me re-state my here. I want to recognize the rightful place of God's instructions in the care and aid of our soul, which at best has been marginalized as an optional therapeutic add-on. And in many cases, the worst has been considered anti-health and psychologically harmful and oppressive and should be rejected. It's interesting in the world today that psychology and psychologists are, are, are everywhere and we hear a lot about psychology and psychologists interestingly enough the word psychology is a simple compound word that you're probably familiar with you you know the ology part theology sociology the ology is the study of so what's the psych part well the psych part comes from a greek word called suke, which means soul and so psychology is actually the study of the soul And so who is better equipped to deal with the soul than the creator of the soul and those of us who recognize him and his rightful place of authority over the soul? It amazes me that there are people out there who don't even believe in a soul who call them psychologists, that they study something they don't believe in. That they believe that, that, that inner part is just chemical reactions and electrical impulses. They don't believe that there's a supernatural part of us. And yet they study something they don't even believe in. That would be like a cardiologist, person who studies hearts, who doesn't believe in hearts. All he believes there is is stomach, but he's considered a cardiologist. We need to recognize that God has a rightful place and we as Jesus followers have something to say when it comes to the aid and the care of souls. Third, I want us, uh, third, I want us to refocus, to refocus our energies that we are concerned and refocus our concern and our passions for humanity. That meaning the whole unit, body and soul. That we care for and minister to both. That we're concerned about both when it comes to the people we deal with and care about. We worry about their bodies and we're concerned about their souls. I will make this statement. We are stewards of both body and soul. And so as we start to look at this, let us first consider... Uh, The Constitution. What it means when I say the Constitution of humanity. What are we as people made up of? Well, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to at least illustrate that there's two parts of us. I've kind of laid that out for you. We have a body part, the material part, and we have a soul part, the non-material part. Each of these parts may have various components and various systems. Like in our body, we have a nervous system, a skeletal system, a digestive system, a circulatory system. We have all these different systems, but they're all part of the material part of us, what we call our body. Likewise, we have a non-material part. Our soul or our spirit. And it has different subcategories, I would say. Intellect, emotion, will, personality, imagination. All these things that, that we can't touch and feel that make us up who we are. And that's the non-material parts of our soul. So when we discuss this, we're just looking at these two major parts, body and soul, the material and the non-material. Where do I get this constitution of these two things being made up or this construction Well, one scripture that I hold to have extreme weight is Genesis 2, verse 7. Since we are talking about the makeup of humanity, let's go back to the recorded history when humans were made and look at the parts that are revealed there. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Within this verse, we have three steps in the formation of humanity. Uh, three steps in the creation of people. The first one is God formed from the dust of the ground. The word "God formed" it's, it simply that word means to fashion, to make, to form. It's a physical action. It's like a potter turning clay on a wheel. It's God did something physical. He formed something. The second part of that phrase. From the dust of the ground is that he used dirt, ash. One of the definitions for that Hebrew word is this. A earth substance used for building construction. It's clay, like you would make bricks out of. I started to show a picture from Uganda. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, one of the things that amazed me when I was there is is people are always making bricks. The ground is good for making bricks. And people get ground when they have an inherit ground. One of the first things they start to do is go dig in the ground. They form bricks. They bake them in the sun till they're hard. Then they build this big tower and they fill it full of grass. And then they set it on fire and burn it and make bricks to build a house out of on that property. And they use the actual dirt, the ground from where they live... To build the house in which they will live. And this is the same kind of idea. Dust from the ground. It is a building material. And so what we see here is a physical action with a physical substance. God made something material in the creation of humanity. He did it on purpose and he did it with design. That's the material part of us, our bodies. Physical action, physical substance. Then comes the next part, and he breathed the breath of life into their nostrils. This is the supernatural part, and it's really hard for me to say anything about this. The breath of life—the uh, Hebrew word is—is is, is this breath, uh, which also equates with wind or or spirit. That this word carries on these ideas. It's the part of you that is supernatural. There's a part of you. That is beyond the natural world. It's the God part in you. That only I can, only thing I can say is God does this. He gives us life. Try to explain life to somebody and you have run out of words already. The only passage I can think of or found to think about us to even grasp what the breath of life is, is when Jesus explained to Nicodemus what the new life was like. In John chapter three, verse seven, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, that there is this supernatural thing that we just can't really grasp. We see its effects. We know it exists. There's a, there's a part of us that we realize that when we're alone with ourselves, that there's something in us. We, there's a, our inner man. We call it our heart. We call it our soul. We call it our spirit. We can sense it in other people. Have you ever been around somebody and say, well, he's just got a, he's got a happy spirit. He's got a sad spirit. He's, you know, we can sense each other's spirits. We know they exist. And for us as Christians, we get the blessed experience of connecting with one another in the spirit. Spiritual realm that that we feel like we have a kinship with one another uh, that we you might have just met somebody for the very first time and we're like we feel like best friends because our spirits are connecting we see the results of it but to be able to explain it and touch it and hold it is simply a god thing it's a supernatural part of you something that we should be very very grateful for so god made made a physical substance made a physical action with a physical substance and then he did a god thing and he put those two things together in the last verse and man became a living being and the real important phrase the real important word in that phrase is became the 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 word there the hebrew word means to exist it's it's a common word to exist when God took the the material and that non-material supernatural part and he put them together man started to exist the uh, French philosopher Descartes says this probably a phrase you've heard I think therefore I am that man became aware because you're aware of yourself that means you exist this is when man started to think. This is when man became aware of himself. It's an interesting word that's used one other very important place in the Bible. From Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. When Moses asked God, who will I say sent me? And he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am Has sent me to you. This is what happened at that moment. When that non-material and that material come together. Adam sat up and said. I am. I exist. God had given a little piece of the great I am. To that material body. And now man was alive. And so we see these two parts. The material and the non-material coming together. In a unity. The fact of, of what we are is a unity neither part is all of us neither our physical body or our spiritual body is all of us they are both parts of a unity and both parts are all of us (laughs) both parts are us you look at my physical body that's me and that inner man that's me and we see sometimes those things broke up i'm going to show you an example of that but i just want to point out that there's a similar event in ezekiel's Uh, In the prophet Ezekiel's time, in verse 37, verses 1 through 14, it's the story of the valley of bones. Uh, I just want to read to you and see that this same idea is carried out through Scripture. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinew were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. They had all the physical parts, right? They had the material part, but something was still not there. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the wind, the spirit prophesy son of man and say breathe thus the lord god can't come from the four winds oh breathe the breath on these slain and they will come to life so i prophesied as he commanded and the breath came into them and they came into life stood on their feet an exceedingly great army we see the same pattern there: body and breath non-material and material coming together to bring life and so we're constituted of these two parts, the material and the non-material. So some quick examples for us to consider. This is Johnny. I cannot pronounce her name, last name to save my life very well. Erickson Tata. Thank you. I just go by Johnny because that's how she titled all her books. You may know the story of Johnny when she was 16, 17, 18 in her teenage years. She went swimming one day, dove into a river or lake and didn't know that there was a submerged rock or log underground, landed on her head and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed herself from that time the rest of her life, follower of Christ. One of the greatest experiences I had was a couple of years ago, uh, Shelley and I got to go to a conference where she was speaking. and I went to the conference just to see her live one time. Now, I will tell you that... That body is Johnny, but it's broken. There's it's messed up. The paralyzation broke the body. And so, but even though her body is broken, is Johnny alive? Yes, because the non-material part in her is alive and well, and it is still Johnny and she is full of life. I can tell you just by being in the presence of her, just in her room as she shared her walks, her, her physical struggles with that broken body, that her spirit shines through. And so we can break the body and still be very much alive on the soul part. Jesus referenced a group of guys who's the opposite way. In Matthew's gospel, the 23rd chapter, verses 17 and 28, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is referencing the exact opposite of the problem with Johnny. Their physical bodies are fine and well. You would know them and they would function well. The problem is... The spiritual body on the inside, their soul is dead. And that's where they're broken at. It's hard to come up with references like this. You know, it's easy to celebrate Johnny and how her broken body and her spirit shows through. We don't celebrate people that are like this as often. But I did meet a man one time that if I've ever met anyone who I feel like was like this, I think he was. Perfectly, physically healthy. But when it came to spiritual sensations, when it came to spiritual knowledge, when it came to anything in the spiritual realm, there was nobody home. And I can tell you from experience, sitting in a room with him, you could sense that. You could feel a coldness, a a lack of life. Something wasn't completely right about that. And, And all I could say was the physical body was fine, but that internal other part was not where it needed to be. And so here's some examples of how we see these two uh, parts and actions that somebody can break their body, but they're still who they are. Their personalities, that inner part still shines and grows and is alive and functioning well. And likewise, you can not be broken on that part and function physically well. Ideally, God created us to be alive in both, physically and spiritually. So there's a theology of Christ, uh, there's a theology of humanity for you the theology of the human constitution what it means to be human these two separate parts of us the problem with theology is we study it we learn it and most of all we like to debate it but what we should do the most important thing for us to do with any theology is to apply it to use it in our lives an application usually comes from the asking of questions. Most basically when we look at the uh, theology, we should ask questions like, how would I do this? How would this affect me? What would I do about what I've just learned or studied or come to understand? And so I want us today, as we look at this, to consider four questions for us to consider as we retake, recognize, and refocus on the Jesus followers stewardship of the body and soul. That we are stewards of both body and soul. And as we try to retake, refocus, and, re, and recognize God's place in this way, realm of humanity, four questions. First, which is more important? Which is more important, body or soul? All right, we're going to take a quick straw, man... Vote here if you're brave enough. Everyone who thinks the body's the most important, raise your hand. Chickens. Everyone who thinks the soul is more important, raise your hand. All right. I believe the Bible does lead us to believe that the soul has the advantage in the importance category. That the non-material part of us is more important or at least weighted more than the body. But I want to be careful at this point that we don't jettison the body completely. The body has great importance in it. One of the first heresies that any Christian ever held to, had to deal with was called Gnosticism. All right? And Gnostics believed that everything that was material was evil. Everything that was spiritual was good. And their whole goal was to get out of the body. They saw the body as nothing more than kind of like a cocoon. That your, that your spirit grew inside of and then one day you would be liberated. You would bust out of that cocoon and the spirit would fly off and be the beautiful butterfly that it was supposed to be. Thus ejecting that evil part of our material part. Now let's go back to our creation. Who created the material part of us? Is it evil then? No. And so God made us material. He didn't make a mistake when He made us material parts. He didn't make a mistake when He made the material part of us. He didn't go, oops, didn't mean to do that. No, it was very intentional. He formed us from the dust of the ground. Very intentional act. He wanted us to have a body. Randy Alcorn tells us that God didn't make this mistake when he gave us a physical world. It is part of our makeup. And though the spirit may have the lead and the importance, it's not to jettison the body completely. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. See, even in this great this great teaching about what we should be afraid of, the body is not forgotten. Be a, Be concerned about your body and your soul, or your soul and your body, that they both are important. And we're not to try to jettison one over the other, although I do believe you're correct when you say one does take the lead. And I think we'll figure out why that is by the time it's over. So we're to be concerned about body and soul. Second question, which should we care for then? Both. All right, now it gets easier from here on out. Let me ask you this question. Do you recognize that in the similar way that you take care of or abuse your body, you can take care of or abuse your soul? That you can, in the same way you take care or abuse your body, you can also take care or abuse your soul that we have a stewardship for both they were both given to us by god at creation and we see creation wrapping up with god putting man in a stewardship role over all of creation including our body and our soul so how would we do that well it's similar so how do you take care of your body well, first of all, you feed it right, right? You make sure it's fed right. There's interestingly number of, of scriptures that talk about us feeding our soul. First Peter two and, uh, first Peter two verses two and three. Like newborn babies, long for pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is talking about spiritual food, the pure milk of the word. Psalm 51, 6 says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part of you, you will be made known wisdom that we feed on truth on the inside. God said when he was tempted, Jesus said, I have food that you don't know about. And what was that food to do? The will of him who sent me so we can feed on God's will that feeds our spirit. We were also told to look out for one another when when, uh, Jesus Peter said, feed my sheep, right? To look out for one another's spiritual well-being. And so we need to make sure we feed our spirit on what is right. God's word, the Lord's will, and truth found in God's word. To feed it right and not give it junk. It's basically the input we have. What's going in to the inner man? How is it? function and so feeding it right takes care of it the second thing we do is exercise right this is how you take care of your body exercise everybody's favorite thing exercise how do we do that spiritually we have acts of faith when we walk in faith it strengthens our spirit when we come to worship that that you this time every week is your ymca gymnasium visit for an hour or two hours a week, if you're here to work out, to worship, to exercise your spirit in prayer and singing and giving and listening and education and fellowshipping and sharing with one another and loving on one another and, and taking up the communion and, and all the things that the Bible gives us. This is our time to exercise our spirit. We pray. Have conversations that feeds our spirit, that exercises. It's an exercise of faith. And here's one. Meditate. Oh, there we go. Being all New Agey again, right? We're meditating. This proves my point. Meditation is something given to us by God. And the world today has perverted it into something that we're scared to mention in churches because we sound like we belong to some cult. But meditation was given to us by God. He said, meditate upon my word. Hide my words in your heart so that you will not sin against me. That all day long I think on your precepts because they're altogether beautiful. Meditation is something given to us about God. It's what we meditate on that matters. The truth of God's word. Not sit off in some corner by ourselves and start to think about and spend hours thinking about how good I am. Or how, or, or focusing over and over, repeating to myself, you are good, you are liked, you are a good guy, you're friendly, over and over trying to build myself up, but focusing on God's truth or, or sitting quietly and, and, and focusing hours on nothing but my own breathing. This is a perversion of God's truth that we should meditate, but meditate on God, His will and His word. These are the kind of things we need to retake. Meditation belongs to God and his children in the right way and not some perverted way of doing it about self that exercises our spirit. And then thirdly, anytime, I'm, I was hoping Tim would be here. I'd ask him and see if he agreed with me. Eat right, exercise, and consult a doctor. Right? Somebody else who who can help us examine ourselves. This is where Randy and I talked about really wanting to do this sermon. Because we want to be that. We are willing to meet with you and, and, and help give other eyes to, uh, to a checkup. That's, that's our position. That's part of what we do. We're, we're here to, to help take care and give a checkup. Where, where are you at? Let's check your temperature. Let's see your blood pressure. Let's, let's do an x-ray if we need to. Somebody who can help you look at yourself spiritually that you're willing to talk with. Everyone should have a doctor. And I believe every Christian should have a, a Christian influence, whether it's your pastor or a friend or just some mentor in your life. But certainly we are willing to do that we want to invite you to set up those times with us where we can sit down and have spiritual conversations we love hearing about all the physical needs you have but we really want to talk about the other part of you too and hear about that because we are stewards of that part and we might can help do the checkup and we might even be able to help take care of some of the coughs and sniffles you have and now we've embarked on a ministry that can help take care of the surgery parts. That's why we are partnering with Dr. Nyman to bring someone in who can go deeper than we are trained to do, deeper than what we have time to dedicate, someone who can do soul surgery, someone who recognizes the soul and is willing to talk and give advice and direction about our souls to help us deal with those soul issues so that we're healthier in the inner man. So we're supposed to take care of both parts. One more, another question. What did Jesus die for? Important question for us to consider today as we come to the communion table. Which part did Jesus die for? All right, it looks like it's time for another raising of hands. How many of you think Jesus died for your soul? We'll start with the easy one. Okay. How many of you think Jesus died for your body? Uh, maybe maybe if i ask it this way which part will be redeemed which part will be in heaven both see we don't just believe in a resurrection of the soul we believe in a resurrection of the body first corinthians chapter 15 says but christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes through man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And human life is physical and non-physical being together. Non-material and material being put together. This is human life the way God intended it. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, and at his coming those who belong to him. This stunned the people that he was talking to in the Corinthians. And they said, they asked, what are you talking about? Uh, what's this like? And in verse 35, he goes on. So he reassures everyone of resurrection. And in 35 through 38, he says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has designed and to each kind of seed he gives its own. And it goes on to talk about earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. What's a heavenly body like? Don't know. Hadn't got mine yet. But one day I will. That there will be a physical resurrection. God didn't make a mistake when he gave us both material and non-material. And heaven won't be a place where he changes his mind. The original design was a perfect design. Now it may be different. It may be changed. I don't know how all that works. It's going to be another one of those God making things like God only does. But I believe that we will live in a physical world. And a spiritual being united together as God originally designed it. And that's what we believe, a bodily resurrection. There's already one body there. Did you know that? Jesus. That they saw Him raised up to heaven. And so there's already one body in heaven waiting for the rest of us to get there. And so we see in Scripture then a level of importance of both body and soul. With a weighted importance on the non-material. So let me ask my our question. I'm sorry. I... Where is our focus? Our final point of application. We see this, this, this influence in scripture. There, there's an importance on both. Maybe weighted on the spiritual side because the spirit precedes the body to wherever it's going. And at the at the end of time, the body will join the spirits wherever they're at and be there for eternity. I think that might be why the weight on the, the spirit is there. So the final question is, which of these two do we focus on? Which one do we pay more attention to? Which one consumes your think time? When you're in and out through the day, do you think more about your physical body or your spiritual body? How many of you are right now thinking about what your physical body is going to eat within hopefully the next half hour? While you're missing the food that's laid before you right here, that's for your physical, your spiritual body. How many times you? How much is your time? I know we're we're on a diet right now, and so lots of time is tell, taken up in my think time about planning food. You know, what's going to be the next meal and what meets the diet and where can we go and what are we going to eat? Make sure we stay within compliance. Do I spend as much time preparing my spiritual meals? Do I make sure that I get up and have time in the word in the morning? Oh, I can't miss breakfast. I got to have a little bit more at lunch. I need to go to, I need a midnight stack. Am I taking care and thinking about my physical, my non-material self as much as I think about my material self? You feel those pains and those aches and those those joints that don't work anymore. And you're like, oh, I wonder if that could be. I wonder if that could be. Do you feel the same pains and, 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 and hurts and achy joints in your spirit and go, I wonder if I'm becoming apathetic. I wonder if I'm becoming uncaring. I wonder if I'm becoming prideful. I, do you sense that part of you? Where do you invest your material resources? Do you invest them more on your body? Or your soul? Are you investing for spiritual growth? Are you laying up treasures where moth and rust won't destroy? Or is it all about just seeing that the physical happiness of your external body? Where are you spending your energy resources? You only have so much energy in a day. Are you running and chasing physical things or spiritual things? Probably one of the greatest tests. One great point of application. If we accomplish one thing, this would be it. How about your prayer time? Evaluate your prayers. What percentage of your prayer is about physical needs and what percentage is about spiritual needs? My challenge for myself and for you this week is every time you pray, every time you mention someone's physical need, mention a spiritual need second for them or for someone else. Every time you pray for your own self, that I need this in the physical realm. Lord, I'm traveling today. Keep me safe. Oh, and save this loved one of mine. So that every time we pray for a physical need, we match it up with a spiritual request too. Just to try to bring balance. Because because Randy and I have talked about this a lot. We talk about we have prayer times and we take prayer requests. What percentage are in the physical world? Probably 70 75 80 we start mentioning so what spiritual requests who do you want to get saved who do you want to get right with the lord who do you want this we'll get a few sometimes and sometimes none and if we were to just balance our prayer life so that it was equally physical and equally spiritual i think we would make great strides in changing how we see the two and have a greater concern for the whole man And so remember my goal, retake ground that we've given over to the enemy. Recognize God has a rightful place. And we as his followers have recognized his place and his influence in aid and care for the souls. And to refocus and re-energize, re-energize ourselves for the concern and passion for humanity, the whole person, body and soul. God made us body and soul we are stewards of both god cares about body and soul we are stewards of both and most importantly god redeems both body and soul we are stewards of both I invite you to join us at the table where we celebrate God giving up his body so that he could save our souls and our bodies.